Our summaries this week contain three criminal law cases, two from the Arkansas Supreme Court and one from the Arkansas Court of Appeals. In Kimball v. State, 2024 ARC 3, the Arkansas Supreme Court affirmed rape convictions for crimes against two granddaughters and rejected arguments against application of an amended and extended limitations statute. Justice Webb wrote, quote, In a criminal prosecution, the state must prove beyond a reasonable doubt that the statute of limitations has not expired, Art Code and Section 5-1-111-A-4. Kimball raped his granddaughters between the years 1997 and 2004. The statute of limitations in effect when Kimball committed his crimes allowed for prosecution up to the victim's 24th birthday, regardless of the victim's age at the time of the offense, if the offense is not reported to the police or a prosecutor. Art Code and Section 51109H7, Supplement 1987. In 2011, that period was extended to permit prosecution up until the minor victim turned 28 years old. Art Code and Section 51109A2A, Supplement 2011, Acts 2011, Number 1127, Section 1. In 2013, the statute was amended to allow the prosecution for rape committed against a minor victim to be commenced at any time. Art Code and Section 51109A1D, Replacement 2013, Acts 2013, Number 144, Section 1. Regarding the changes in the statute of limitations, we have held that no one has a vested right in a statute of limitations until the bar of the statute has become effective. Reeves v. State, 374 ARC 415. Accordingly, the General Assembly may validly enlarge the period of limitations and make the new statute apply to a cause of action that has not been barred at the time the new statute becomes effective. However, if the action is already time-barred when the new statute becomes effective, the General Assembly may not revive a cause of action. As applied to the case at bar, the charges against Kimball would be time-barred only if Kimball's crimes had been reported to law enforcement before the General Assembly amended Section 51109A in 2011 and 2013. Facts Kimball was charged by information with the rape of three girls, V.C., M.K., and L.B., prior to 2010. All the alleged victims are Kimball's granddaughters, and all the girls were under the age of 14 at the time. V.C. was born in July 1990, M.K. was born in May 1993, and L.B. was born in May 1994. Specifically, the information alleged that Kimball engaged in sexual intercourse or deviant sexual activity with V.C., deviant sexual activity with M.K. by digitally penetrating her vagina, and engaged in sexual intercourse or deviant sexual activity with L.B. The issue of whether Kimball's crimes were time-barred was tried by the court prior to his jury trial. Although Kimball filed a motion to dismiss, it was the state's burden to disprove his affirmative defense. 
At the April 29, 2011 hearing, the state called all three alleged victims to testify. It also called Richard Wells, a retired detective from the Benton County Sheriff's Department, who is also Kimball's nephew, and Detective Michael Braswell, who was tasked in 2020 with the investigation that led to the filing of charges against Kimball. Kimball called no witnesses but did submit two exhibits, a copy of Arkansas Code Annotated Section 51109H7, Supplement 1987, the relevant limitation statute that was in effect when the crimes were allegedly committed, and a document from the Children's Advocacy Center that reflected in pertinent part that Detective Jeremy Felton was the investigating officer who had referred M.K. for a forensic interview. M.K. testified that she was sexually assaulted by Kimball on one occasion between 2003 and 2005, when she was between 8 and 10 years old. She stated that the day after it happened, she told her sisters about the incident and they told her to talk to her parents. Her parents did nothing. However, M.K. further testified that she later mentioned it to her friend when she was 12 or 13 years old, and she went to an interview at the CAC. She claimed that she told the interviewer that she just made it up because she was upset with her grandparents because they were mean and grouchy. M.K. claimed that after the interview, she did not mention the alleged abuse to anyone until she posted about the incident on Facebook in 2020. The post led to an investigation conducted by Detective Braswell. M.K. claimed that Detective Braswell was the only law enforcement officer that she spoke to about the alleged abuse. She also denied speaking to anyone from the Arkansas Department of Human Services. She likewise asserted that she had no knowledge of her sisters speaking to law enforcement prior to being contacted by Detective Braswell. M.K. acknowledged that she told Detective Braswell that her sister, L.B., had spoken to someone at her school about Kimball's alleged abuse. According to M.K., she never met Richard Wells and she never spoke to Detective Felton. L.B. testified that she was assaulted by Kimball over a period of time between the years 1999 and 2003 when she was 7 to 9 years old. She claimed she told her parents but denied talking to any law enforcement officer prior to her interview with Detective Braswell. L.B. recalled that she spoke with somebody at school when she was eight years old. However, she did not remember who the interviewer was, and she had no specific recollection about that person being in law enforcement. L.B. admitted that she knew Richard Wells as her father's cousin, but specifically denied talking to him about the alleged assaults. V.C. testified that she had been assaulted by Kimball prior to 2003. At that time, when she was 13 years old, she and her sisters told her parents what Kimball had been doing to her. V.C. claimed, however, that she was unaware of any investigation by law enforcement prior to her interview with Detective Braswell in 2020. According to V.C., she had no direct knowledge regarding whether her sisters had spoken to law enforcement or ADHS prior to the investigation conducted by Detective Braswell. End of quote. Analysis The touchstone inquiry in this case was, when were the crimes reported to the authorities from which an investigation began? Quote, At the conclusion of the testimony, 
Kimball argued that the case involving all three victims should be dismissed because the statute of limitations had run. He asserted that the plain language of the statute in effect at the time required only that the crime be reported to law enforcement, not that the victims themselves do the reporting. Further, he asserted that the statute does not require that law enforcement make a good-faith effort to investigate those allegations. Simply having knowledge and having been reported that there is an allegation is what triggers this statute. The state responded that, throughout this case, no one made an allegation of rape against Kimball until 2020. It noted that even the referral to the CAC involved an allegation of inappropriate touching. Regarding V.C. and L.B., it asserted that there was no evidence that either spoke with law enforcement. Addressing the allegations involving M.K., the state acknowledges that she was interviewed at the CAC and that the Benton County Sheriff's Office was involved inasmuch as Detective Felton provided a referral. However, the state contended that M.K. telling her parents, Detective Wells overhearing something at a family gathering, and M.K. telling her friend about what had happened to her is not a report to a law enforcement agency. The state noted the anonymous call to the sheriff's office that opened the case, but argued that it was not enough of a report to trigger the statute. The circuit court expressed an inclination to deny Kimball's motion to dismiss. Kimball, however, convinced the circuit court to reconsider, citing Wells' testimony that he had initially been assigned the case and that cases did not exist without a report to a law enforcement agency. The circuit court dismissed the charges involving M.K., but denied the motion to dismiss as to the charges involving L.B. and V.C. The remaining counts went to trial, and the jury convicted Kimball of raping V.C. and L.B. Kimball does not challenge the sufficiency of the evidence sustaining those convictions. His argument on appeal focuses solely on the circuit court's denial of his motion to dismiss the underlying charges. End of quote. End of decision. In Faulkner v. State, 2024, ARC 2, the Arkansas Supreme Court affirmed convictions for rape, introducing a controlled substance into the victim, and tampering, where defendant injected ketamine into the victim, rendering her helpless. He then threatened to kill her family if she did not testify differently. Justice Wood explained. Tampering. While defendant argued there was no evidence to support his conviction for tampering, the appellate court disagreed. Quote, the victim testified that Faulkner told her to recant her statement to the police or that everyone she loved would die. On the recorded phone call introduced at trial, Faulkner said the victim should recant her statement to the police and tell them that she was wrong and that she made it up or whatever. The state also introduced a voicemail from Faulkner to the victim in which Faulkner accuses her of being a liar. End of quote. Exclusion of evidence. Alleged previous consensual relations. Defendant sought to show that he and the victim had previous consensual sex. However, the issue here was whether he raped the victim while she was incapacitated and incapable of consent. Quote, we addressed a similar issue in State v. Parker, 2010, ARC 173. There, as here, the defendant was charged with raping the victim while the victim was physically helpless. 
We held any testimony about prior encounters between the victim and the defendant was irrelevant because the victim could not have consented due to being physically helpless. Likewise, Faulkner was charged with raping a victim who was either incapable of consent or was physically helpless. Per Parker, whether the victim and Faulkner had prior consensual sex is not relevant. End of quote. Earlier marriage license. Defendant argued he and the victim previously attained a marriage license, but this was excluded. Quote, Here, after holding a hearing and listening to arguments from both the state and from defense counsel, the court concluded that the evidence of a marriage license would be confusing. The court questioned both attorneys about their positions and thoughtfully probed their responses. At the end of their presentations, the court issued a reasoned decision to exclude the evidence. The court noted that the relevance of the marriage license was marginal and that the circumstances of it were confusing. The court did not act thoughtlessly, improvidently, or without due consideration. As the court did not abuse its discretion, we affirm. End of quote. End of decision. In Moore v. State, 2024, ARC-AP 31, the Arkansas Court of Appeals affirmed defendant's conviction of breaking or entering with video evidence he entered a locked car and left without stealing it. Judge Murphy reasoned there was no error in denying defendant's motion for directed verdict and explained the crime for which defendant was charged. Quote, Arkansas Code Annotated Section 539-202-A1 provides that a person commits the offense of breaking or entering if, for the purpose of committing a theft or felony, he or she breaks or enters into any vehicle. On appeal, Roy argues that the state offered no proof of a purposeful mental state. Criminal intent or purpose can seldom be proved by direct evidence and must usually be inferred from the circumstances. Viewed in the light most favorable to the state, the evidence reveals that Roy walked up to and entered a car that was not his without permission from the owner that the owner testified he had locked. The evidence further establishes that there was no forced entry, the car's spare keys had recently gone missing, and the sunshade was removed from the driver's side. A reasonable inference can be drawn that Roy used the missing keys to enter the locked car that was not his and remove the sunshade in preparing to drive off in the Hyundai. The jury is allowed to use its common sense to infer that the vehicle would not start because the battery had been removed. Here, the state presented sufficient evidence of intent and not merely that Roy broke into the vehicle. With the removal of the sunshade, the jury could reasonably infer that Roy was preparing to steal the car. This, coupled with Collins' testimony that all the doors of the car were locked and that the car would not have started because he removed the battery, supports the verdict. Additionally, Darrell's testimony that he saw Roy drive through a stop sign near the scene of the incident constitutes circumstantial evidence from which the jury could conclude that Roy entered the vehicle with the intent of committing a theft. End of quote. A dissent written by Judge Gladwin, who was joined by Judge Thayer, replied, quote, The majority opinion adequately sets out the scant evidence presented at trial and the proper standard of review. The evidence presented shows that Roy entered a car without permission, moved a sunshade, and then exited the vehicle. 
a finding beyond a reasonable doubt on these facts that Roy committed the offense of breaking and entering, in my mind, is based on speculation and conjecture. Arkansas Code Annotated Section 539-202-A1 provides that a person commits the offense of breaking or entering if, for the purpose of committing a theft or felony, he or she breaks or enters into any vehicle. On the evidence presented, the jury was left to speculate as to Roy's purpose for entering the vehicle. The majority opinion emphasizes that the missing keys are an inference of purpose of committing a theft. It is conjecture that Roy even possessed the keys. The keys were never found in or around the car or in Roy's possession, yet the majority holds that this is evidence that a theft or felony was going to occur. Further, Roy's moving the sunshade is not indicative of a theft or felony. There is no evidence that Roy rummaged through the vehicle or attempted to start it. End of quote. The dissent added that the majority erred in citation to defendant driving through a stop sign as evidence of intent to steal. While evidence of flight may be proof in some instances, it does not apply in this case as evidence of intent to steal. Quote, it is well settled that the flight of an accused to avoid arrest is evidence of his felonious intent. See Atkins v. State, 63, Arp App 203 at 206. Considering fleeing in conjunction with other evidence when the accused immediately ran and attempted to evade capture upon being discovered at the crime scene. Here, there is no evidence that Roy was fleeing to avoid arrest. Finally, even if one takes the majority's entire premise as fact, it still does not support a conviction on the charge of breaking or entering. Assuming that Roy did have the keys, started the vehicle, and knowingly operated or exercised control of the vehicle without the owner's consent, that would be a violation of Arkansas Code Annotated Section 536-108, the unauthorized use of a vehicle, a Class A misdemeanor. End of quote, end of decision.